man, it, it is just good to see all of you here today. Like in the past three weeks at Lake Point Church, seen so many faces I hadn't seen in a long time, seen many faces that I've never seen before, just, just flat out new. Like I didn't actually realize how many, much I missed you until I saw you again. Uh, is that the right way to say it? Uh, but hey, uh, great to have so many of you back here uh, at, at Lake Point Church uh, growing and connecting with us. And I also want to say for all those of you who are online, you're not gone. You're, you're, you are missed just as much. We love you just as much. Uh, and, and in fact, right now, um, if, if you could, I know it's online. I know it's a public platform. But if you've got a prayer request, can you put that in the comments feed right now? Uh, we take that very seriously. We miss you. We want to pray for you. You are every much a part of the church as anyone who could walk through the doors this morning. And so we're worshiping together. Uh, tell us how we can be praying for you at this time. So, hey, uh, fourth and final week where we are at the well again. Uh, it's a story coming from John chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, feel free to turn with them there. We will put the text with you on the screen. There's just countless implications and applications of, of what we can get from this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Race, gender, heritage, religion, morality, relationship, all that and more by sitting down with Jesus at the, at the well. All right, And that, that's really the point of it all. After all the circumstances that surround this woman's world and, and life uh, that Jesus cuts through uh, to, to work with her, at, at the end of the day, it became directly, personally, invasively about her. About her uh, sitting down with Jesus at the well long enough for Jesus to know her and for her to know him. So here's what I want to ask you to do today, okay? I brought two chairs up here. I want, I want you to picture yourself sitting in this chair right here, at the well, so to speak, with Jesus. How long are you going to sit there? How far are you willing to let the conversation go? How personal will you let Jesus get with you before you say, I'm, I'm going to stand up right now and, and, and get out of here and, and, and move on? Because here's what you've got to know about Jesus. He doesn't just love part of you. He loves all of you. And, and, and so when he sits down with you, he's going to open up every last aspect of your life until you know that you are loved and transformed and made whole again, even there. So one more lap through the story of the woman at the well uh, today. And so uh, this time, it's not about the issues out there. It's about you and your seat up close and personal with Jesus. All right, so here's a little bit of the, the review in the background. As Jesus is traveling from one Jewish county to another, uh, we read that he had to go through Samaria. Uh, he had to go there. And this is more purposely true than it is geographically true. Because Jews would systematically uh, avoid S Samaritans. They would go out of their way to walk around uh, the, the area of Samaria and, and the Samaritans who lived there. Because there was a bias, there was a prejudice, there was a flat-out racism from Jews towards Samaritans. Uh, so that they would walk around. But, as we've been learning, uh, there are some parallels here to Samaria. When Jesus goes to Samaria, he goes there to go through some areas of our life. 
parts of our lives that were true back then, parts of our lives that are still just as true to this day. And all that got surfaced in Samaria. So he went there into some areas of our life. Uh, Jesus ends up at a landmark in Samaria called Jacob's Well. Tired as he was, he sat down from his journey right there. And picking up in verse 7 here, we read that a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? There's actually something important to what Jesus is doing there. The, The introduction to the conversation with this woman at the well starts with his humanity. And that's how Jesus is going to start with you, too. I, I had needs, you have needs. I'm, I'm not a God who's just far and lifted up and untouchable. I'm a God who stoops down into your world and your life. I've walked several miles in your shoes. I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm thirsty. Can you help a guy out? And Jesus is going to start with you on very relatable terms as well. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? And that right there puts out the two biggest areas that Jesus is going through in Samaria. One of them is race. We covered that in the first week of the series. I'm not going to repeat uh, the, 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 the racism from the Jews towards the Samaritans and just how spot on that applies to our day. Go, go back and catch that online if, if you want to experience it. Uh, I do at least want to mention briefly that she, she's also bringing up the sexism of her day. Gender issues were the, were the second issue that Jesus went through to get to this woman. Uh, I found it interesting. I've been, I've been participating online with this race and culture discussion that's been facilitated by our church partner, Brian McKee. It's, it's all on our race resource page if you wanted to jump in. It's just four weeks. And homework assignment number one after the first discussion was to pair up with someone else that was on this online Zoom call, take a 15-minute phone call to get to know each other. So I get on in the middle of the week, and I'm talking, yeah, I'm half, half German, half Polish. That partially means something, but mostly I'm kind of American right now. Uh, I know very little about the actual immigrants from, from Europe to, to my heritage, just a tiny bit. And this woman was able to explain to me, I'm, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines. My parents came over when I was five years old. That's my life and story. And I, in the course of listening to her, I couldn't help but ask, okay, so... Do you feel the race issue personally? Your, your skin color is different than the majority of our country. Do you ever feel discriminated against on account of race? She said, no, not on race. But as a woman, I feel discriminated in the workplace every day I show up. That's a big statement right there. I, I, I think sexism is a huge issue that's out there. Am I going to cover it in this series? Not a darn chance. I, I am still trying to catch my breath from the race talk we did at the, at the beginning of the month. So I'm, I'm just going to breathe some air for a while. And uh, sometime, some way, we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into that. Uh, but this woman who's carrying some of these really sore subjects, uh, those are her two big areas. On those two topics, her life, her world, her culture just kept pushing her down and pushing her down and pushing her down. So that now when Jesus walks right into those areas of her life, she's suspicious, uh, she's even abrasive, uh, she's definitely uh, protective and on guard against these sore subjects that Jesus brought up just by asking her for a drink. Verse 10, uh, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? You see, Jesus is trying to expand the conversation to living water, bigger issues than what's currently in front of them right now. And her bent is to limit them to the issues that she's known. Like, I know this bucket, and I show up every day to go to that well. So, so Jesus, if you're talking about blessing and adding to that stuff that I already know, that's what I'm open to. She, like us, just don't have the imagination sometimes that Jesus is talking about something far bigger. We want to say, God, can, can you help things go better with my kids? Can you improve things in my workplace? Like, we'll go through the list of here are all the things that we know, and we assume if Jesus is going to bless us, it's going to be on those terms and in those areas where we're already expecting. When a lot of times I think Jesus is coming back and saying, well, let me talk to you about living water. Not, not a better life in those areas, but a whole different life that you're not even imagining right now. In the course of that, it comes up the third and the fourth area that Jesus is walking into in Samaria at the well with her. One is heritage. Uh, you saw her reference Jacob. Uh, Jacob was a common ancestry for both the Samaritans and the Jews, and she's going to wear that like a badge of honor, like, at least I got that going from me. We all came from the same place, buddy. But the fourth area is religion. Because being Jewish carried with it some faith heritage at well that she didn't share. And she's in a spot where not only did Jews except Jews will make it hard for her to come to God, saying, you're not welcome. But as we're also going to learn, Samaritans are making it hard for her to come to God. You're not welcome. She desperately wants to be on the end with God, and no one will let her. Uh, more on that as the story unfolds. Uh, verse 13 is where I think I'm at now. Uh, it says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That was week two in our series. Again, you want to know what that spring is like? Like what it is like when Jesus gets inside and it's not just the resource that you draw on from time to time, but it is a source that continually flows and you never thirst because Jesus is always on the move with you. I'm not repeating it today. Again, we, we got it posted for you. Verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Does that seem abrupt to anyone else? It's like we're, we're, we're talking water, we're talking wells, we're talking race, we're talking heritage, and all of a sudden, hey, where's your husband at? Why don't you bring him into this conversation? Why the abrupt transition? And uh, more specifically, why get so incredibly personal? Well, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's because Jesus cares about her. All of her. Remember, this is her seat today. We're cutting through all the issues around us. Uh, it goes on in verse 17 and 18. I, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you have in your life right now is not your husband. What you've said, you are quite true. That seems mean to open that up. But, but this is what Jesus is going to do with you. Because when you personally sit down at the well with Jesus, it becomes about you and every single aspect of your life. Not the issues that surround you. Not the race, gender, heritage, religion, morality, anything else that Jesus had to cut through in order to get to you. It's about knowing Jesus for yourself 
as he fully is, and, and you sitting here long enough for Jesus to know the real you as you are. Now that sounds funny, because God knows all, right? But there's a difference between him knowing everything and you opening yourself in everything to him. He wants all of you. He loves all of you. He will be living water to all of you. And, and so he is going to bring up all these personal issues that surface all the reasons that, that you feel smaller and you feel lesser, the topics that you are not used to talking about with anyone else, the topics that you are used to ignoring and pretending that don't exist in yourself. Jesus is going to bring them up with you when you sit there with him at the well. And that's what's touching on area five and area six that Jesus walks into in Samaria. Now the difference is the first four areas we talked about, she, she couldn't do anything about them. That, that was the hand that was dealt to her in life. What's so personal about number five and six is this is where she had her involvement. This is where she lived. This is where she contributed. Number five, I think, is that the area of her life that she's walking into is that she's relationally broken. Relationally broken. I mean, have you ever asked yourself, what is wrong with me? Why don't people like me? Why can't I get along with them? Why won't people stay with me? Why does it feel like I push some people away and why is it that I let some people in way too close and that it ends up backfiring me? Like, am I just relationally broken is a question so many of us ask. And I believe this woman is asking that of herself. Like, five husbands left me? Like, you're kidding. Right? Five. Five husbands and not a single one of them could find a single thing about me that was worth sticking around for and loving. There must be something really wrong with me. Think of a woman's self-image. Think of any person's self-image when every single relationship keeps ending the same way. I must be broken. That's number five. And number six, I think I'm morally bankrupt uh, she, she lives in a small town. And, and what happens in small towns? Small towns talk, right? Uh, I, I believe around town she was known as that woman. You know what I mean by that woman? That, that, that woman that you had a distaste for just by looking at her. That woman that you didn't want your husband to meet. That woman that you didn't really want your kids to be exposed to and be around. That woman was the woman who could only come get her water at noon in the hot Middle Eastern Culture, like, uh, like, appreciate this. Women like doing things together. Do they not? Like, one of the seven wonders of the world, in a man's mind, is what are all those women doing together in a public restroom? Like, like in the male mind, we're thinking, like, that is like the most personal private space, whatever's going on in there. I'm going, I'm going, going alone. I see someone I meet. I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend I don't even know them when I'm in the bathroom. But what are all those women doing in there together? We don't know. Women just like doing it that way. 
Ran that back 2,000 years to the Middle Eastern culture. And man, women made meals together. Women laundered together. Women went out to get their water for the day together. That was their chance to get out of the house. That was their chance to catch up with their friends from around town, the ones that you wouldn't necessarily just naturally cross paths with. That was the chance to get away from the kids for a while. Like, hey, girlfriend, all right, see you tomorrow. Same place, same time. Looking forward to, 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 to catching up again. When are we doing it? Let's do it early. 7 a.m., 8 a.m., before the sun is out, before it's real hot. And I'm looking forward to that time with you. You can't tell me that this woman at the well is showing up at noon on accident. The hottest time in a hot Middle Eastern culture where no one else would be there. She is alone at the well, not by accident. She's alone at the well because she's alone, period. A time when no one would give her those kinds of looks. A time when no one would be sneering at her. A time when she didn't have to deal with the comments all over again, to just be alone as she was. And now Jesus is showing up in her alone time at the well, prying into the very issues that everyone else in her culture has been pushing her down over time and time again. Okay, now before I go on uh, talking about her story, I want to move it over to your story. We're talking about her sitting here with Jesus. What's important for you is to picture yourself sitting here with him. How does this match up with you? How does this line up with what God is going to do with some areas uh, of your life? So here's what we're going to try doing, all right? Here's what it's like for me. When when I sit down with Jesus at the well, and, and Jesus starts getting into some areas of my life, but what inevitably comes up is my uh, recovering nature as a perfectionist and my present stuckness as a performancist. I know I just made up a word, but this is my story and this is my label and it's going to work for me, okay? So follow me with this a little bit. Uh, I have a perfectionist nature. And simple example I'd give you is like, like artwork. And I, I do some oil paintings. I have some fun with them. And perfectionism helps me to some extent. Like it makes me get the painting right before I, 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 I set it down. Okay? For a long time, that would really, really bother me. Of I would come back with a paintbrush and actually paint paintings that are already framed and hanging on my wall. I couldn't let it go. It wasn't right. It would bother me, and I couldn't enjoy sitting in my living room or at my dining room table because my perfectionist nature is kicking in. Now, here's what God has done with me in the course of sitting there. Um, Like right now to this day, like if you were to come over to my house, I'd love to welcome you over there. I could still walk around and point out what is wrong about every single painting if we wanted to. Like this corner doesn't really match the perspective of that corner The brush strokes, I just just couldn't get them under control over here. The color didn't line up the way I wanted. I could tell you that, but it's not bothering me. I notice it, and I'm like, hey, it's still beautiful. It's still done, at least done enough. And, and, And so God's really helped me out in the perfectionist department, and that's made such a big difference in every other area of my life as a pastor, as as a parent. And when it comes to my personal health, I've learned the value of done enough. I can live with myself in that regard. 
but I'm not fixed yet on the performanceist side of it. And here's the difference. A perfectionist is just someone who's having trouble living with themselves. Someone who's struggling with performance is struggling to live with everyone else uh, around them. And so here, here's how it kind of plays out uh, for, for me. Um, I guess I'll relate it to you. At, at some point or other, I think we all experience uh, the impression that love isn't free. Have you ever felt that? Um, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying that's the way it's supposed to be. But I think all of us run into at some point in life this impression that love is not free. To be accepted, to get loved, is based on performing well for someone. That you need to meet their expectations, you need to do enough for them, and if at any point you do not do enough for them, you run the risk of them considering you not enough in their life. Given enough time, they'll move on and find someone else. Once again, not saying it's right, not saying it's true, but that's the thoughts that some of us go through. That's the thoughts that I go through. I, I don't think my situation and my thought process is actually unique whatsoever. But what gets unique about this is, I mean, it's, at this it's point, it's, it's not your story. And this isn't like therapy issues. This is my seat, my conversations with Jesus, and what he is trying to work out in, in my life and what he's putting on. Um, when I sit here at the well with him, so to speak, um, just as me, what he talks to me about is my performance-based nature, my performance-based worldview, and the shame that I carry because of it. And that's the killer for me sitting here, is shame. Um, you know, when you, when you continually remind yourself that you're not enough, uh, because you haven't done enough, and, and, and therefore you're not enough for the people around you. It's, it gets hard to relate to the other people around you. At this point, it's like I have this critic in my own head that will point out, well, that was dumb. Why'd you do it that way? What happens when someone notices that one, Brian? You are not enough. Uh, plenty of people have had their ways over the years of telling me I'm not enough. And, and to this day, I, I still get that message from some people. But you want to know what's really messed up? What, what Jesus is talking to me about? Is, it doesn't even matter if anyone else says it anymore because I'm the one telling myself that I'm not enough because I haven't done enough. Here's, here's the big thing. I don't let myself make mistakes. The, the, the real way of doing it is I made a mistake and therefore I need to fix it. I did something wrong and so now I need to get it right in return. What is going through my performance-based mind is that because you got it wrong, you are a wrong person, Brian. And until you get it right, you're not going to be right. I can't get out of the filter of passing judgment on myself as a human being and on my identity based on what I am doing. That's the depths of all this. Uh, it's like the, to, to, if you're loved for what you do and you never do enough, are you ever going to let yourself be loved? I struggle profoundly uh, in that department. That's how this conversation goes. Now, I, I hope my example is extreme. And I hope that this isn't something that, that you go through uh, at, at this uh, level, but there's something that I'm going through in this seat 
That's very much what the woman at the well is going through in this seat. And I'm pretty darn sure it's a commonality for all of us in this room when you sit in this seat as well. Her story was first century, Middle Eastern, race, gender, religion, morality based. And the end result of all that for her sitting here was the experience of shame. I am lesser, I'm not enough. My story couldn't be more radically different. 21st century, middle-class, white suburban, male American, and still the end result of my story sitting here is shame. I don't know your story, the ingredients that have gone into it, the steps you've taken along the way, but I'm pretty sure all of our stories, traced out in their own way, end up sitting here next to Jesus with the reflex reaction of shame. Like by the time that you get through all those dilemmas about what is the Bible really and how does that line up with what science says and how about all the mean Christians in the world and what about the world issues that we're trying to figure out, what would the Bible really say about that? When Jesus says enough about all that, enough about all the issues that surround your life and your world, I just want you to sit here and I just want to talk about you and I just want to talk about the real you that's sitting inside of there when he asks the question and when he opens the topic I think the reflex reaction for all of us is going to be shame because there's some bar and some things that we have been trying to live up to to call ourselves enough and we haven't gotten there And all of us in some shape or fashion are struggling to feel like enough. And then you just sat down with God and he called you out on it? That's the worst place to be. Because he knows it all and surely I'm not enough. Sit in there with him. And I'm going to throw this out as a little bit of a sidebar as well. A lot of times the people of God have not been great at helping you understand otherwise. Religious institutions are notorious of taking the the tired, wounded people who turn to them and they hand them a performance-based formula on how to get out. Just pray enough. Just attend enough. Just give enough of a percentage and you're, you're going to be fine by us and you're going to be fine by God. And, and, you know, there's even like this subset of people who know it's all about the heart issue, not about the external stuff. But I don't think those guys make it any better. It's a little bit like, man, if, if you just let the love of God transform you, if you just had a little more faith right now, then God would be okay with you. Then you wouldn't worry so much. Then you wouldn't fear. Then you wouldn't have the, these issues and you'd be welcomed by us too. It's, it's all the same thing. I just, want to throw, I just want to throw that out there. Is if that's your story, and especially if that's your story because Lake Point made you feel that way, I'm so sorry because that's not Jesus. That's not gospel. Understand for the woman at the well, Jesus never shamed her. The shame that was there is the shame that she brought into the conversation. Jesus just loves her enough to open it back up so that her, her, his love can get even into those spots. Jesus doesn't bring the shame. And, and so that's our co- commonality, right? Um, the woman had her set of factors, her set of bars she was trying to live up to. And, and, and because she didn't, she was in a low spot of shame. I think we all 
have, have a set of bars, whether it was something that someone gave you or you made up for yourself or you took what the Bible said. There, there's a bar and you're, you're not there. And I, I think that natural reflex reaction is for the shame we carry to come out. Jesus says, with you there? part of the process. Here's where he goes, though, okay? Uh, verse 19, uh, sir, uh, the woman said, I, I, I see that you're a prophet. I think she's kind of snarky about it, like, all right, buddy, you, you know all, good, good, good for you. You're revealing your prophetic nature to me. Uh, she does what all of us do when we hit an uncomfortable subject. She chooses to change the subject. Uh, verse 20, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Gets out of the hot seat, right? I'm not going to talk about me. Let's talk about locations. Let's talk about affiliations. Let's, let's debate over debatable issues right now. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. Time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, what's great about Jesus, as we've been saying throughout this series, is we might draw up sides and, and, and debates. Jesus doesn't take his, either of our sides. He always takes his own side. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. It sounds like he's turning his nose up at her. That's not what's going on. It's just the way the prophecies were laid out. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Judah literally means Jews. He's just explaining how it is. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus doesn't get into her debates. He doesn't take the sides as she's trying to draw up the sides. He just says, here's my side over here. You want to come over to my side and worship? It's open to all based on spirit and truth. And what, what, what a beautiful picture it is, too. Spirit it also gets translated as breath. Like, like Adam, when he was uh, made from the dust of the earth, was there lifeless until God breathed on him. That's where his spirit came from. And I can't think of any more beautiful picture of what worship is than to have the breath of God come back and meet our breath again. That's what he says it is. Let's get back to the essence of where life happens between us. And then he it says it's truth. In other words, there's a matter of factness to this. It's, it's not all-inclusive. Like, you don't get the mix, mash, and mesh, the, the Jesus as, as, as you think it'd be convenient to make him. Uh, you get into Jesus, and you will find that, that Jesus is what you need, and Jesus is, in fact, what you want, but that only starts when you accept Jesus as he is. Again, not, not the size we've drawn up, but his side. We come to Jesus as he truly is for this to start. But notice as he's explaining this to her, he doesn't give her another bar to jump over. Another measure by which she would feel lesser and feel more shame. It, there's just so much grace in his response. It's, it's fully wrapped inside and out with, with love. Jesus embraces this woman who, it seems, has gone her whole life not being embraced by anyone. Anywhere. Romans 3, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. In other words, there was this bar out there was set by God. Uh, the point of that bar and, 
any other bar that's man-made, whether that's based on sex or race uh, or, 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 or morality or whatever, at the end of the day, the only bar that God put out there is to show us you, you can't do it on your own. That, that, that's the reality of it. Reading on, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets, they testify. Uh, in other words, this isn't about getting rid of the bar that, that God set up and saying the bar didn't matter. He's saying, I'm the one who's going to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the laws. I came to be the one to do for you that which you could never do for yourself. And it's driving you crazy. You weren't good enough. You didn't perform. You didn't do enough. But he says, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If Jesus did it for you, he's saying, you don't have to do it. Don't do what I've already done. Just believe that it's already done by me. There is no difference now between Jew and, and Gentile. Race, gender, tradition, thats no; those bars don't matter anymore. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whatever bar you were shooting for, we're all ended up down at the bottom in the same place. Anyway, 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We all shot for this. We all ended up down here. But Jesus came along, hit the bar, and then took us up here with God anyway. That's the good news. That's what Jesus does. That's what he says to you when you sit in the seat with him right here. Or if I could say it more concisely, Romans 10:4, Christ is the culmination of the law. Literally, that translates out to Christ gold the law. He hit the point of what the law was. So that there may be righteous for anyone who believes. It opened to all. And that's why now back at the well. Here in John 4, Jesus is saying, a time is coming. And it's, it's actually here right now. Jesus isn't done with it yet. He's in the middle of it right there with her. Where it's no longer race, gender, heritage, tradition, the choices you've made for the self and, your, and the choices you've made for you. It's, I'm welcoming you without any of those bars attached. And, and sitting here right next to Jesus, he's, he's saying, true worshipers, they're now spirit. And, and, and truth, would you, would you just sit here long enough for my spirit to breathe life back into yours? The, the same way I breathed into the first man who was just laying there dead like dust until I breathed on him. I don't care about your background. I don't care where you've been. I'm your savior. Let me breathe on you again in spirit and truth. And let's worship. From, from here. Verse 25, it says, this is how it turns her head. <clears throat> it says, the woman said, I, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, I, I, I want what you're talking about, Jesus. I'm done with the debates and the issues. That Everything you described, that, that's what I want. But I can't get there. I'm still waiting for that special one, that promised one from God. I'm waiting for someone unique from God to enter my life to do it for me because otherwise I'm still sitting here in my shame. Then 26, Jesus declares, I am he. I'm the one you're waiting for. I'm the one you need. I'm the one who's going to save you. 
started with revealing my humanity to you when I asked you for a drink. I showed you my prophetic nature when we started talking about husbands and your story. But now I'm going to reveal my divine nature to you. I am your God. And I just opened your whole life. And I still love you right where you're at. That persuaded her. That got her to set down the, the jar and the bucket she brought along. It's not about what I carried here. That's what got her to set down her shame and her story of where she wasn't enough up until that point. That's what persuaded her to open her life to Jesus and let his life transform her from here. Question is, is that enough to persuade you? This is kind of the point where words fail us. I got nothing more to say that can convince you that the love of Jesus is greater than the shame that you carry and sometimes don't even know you carry. So I'm just going to pray for you from here. Father, I pray that you'd open up hearts right here. I pray that it'd be your spirit breathing on us all over again. Where we don't have life in of ourselves and we're going to get stuck on our own topics. I pray that you take us back to truth. I pray that you take us back to Jesus your son I pray that you ask some questions on the shame issues in our life start us out towards wholeness with that God, right now we, we all got ideas we're having behind debates we want to introduce we want to talk to you about this the other things surrounding issues that's it's just us trying to take the topic change the topic because it's hard to sit right there when you're opening up the most sensitive spots of our life. But God, in these moments, I just pray that you'd help us, help us experience what it's really like to sit next to you as you really are and with our real selves as it real, really is. God, there's a lot of shame in the seed as we bring it. I pray that you'd give us love from your seed to replace it that be enough to persuade, that would be enough to transform. Like point, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Keep, keep your eyes closed. Let's stay in a moment of prayer. Just, just stand where you're at. And if what I'm talking, if what I'm talking about today in Jesus is what you want, take two steps forward right now. Everyone is, everyone else's eyes are closed. I'm not even looking around myself. Like if you want to step closer to Jesus, if you want to say, yeah, I'm going to move into that seat and I'm going to stay there until Jesus has his way with me. If you're saying, yeah, even the aspects of my life that get that reflex reaction of shame all over again, I, I want to walk into those with him. Just take two steps forward. Your way of getting your body to agree with what your heart and what your spirit is already longing for in him. And if that's where you're at right now, I want you to know you're, you're not alone. You're not at a church that's going to shame you and make it harder and give you more bars to jump over. You're around people who love you, who want to surround you, that want to get to know the real you the same way Jesus wants to get to know the real you. And that we can grow together. We will go to grow together. You can stand where you want right now. You can open your eyes. 
And there's just one more thing I want to say. Coming out of this text right here, uh, I think uh, we wouldn't be done unless we, we read this one more thing. Uh, this woman, she runs to town. The disciples, they come back with the grub they've been looking for. There's confusion. There's conversations. There's, there, there's just how many areas did Jesus get into when he was in Samaria? Um, the story winds down in this way. Verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Like, in other words, we're like, we, we think you're losing your mind right now. The kind of stuff that you got into when we weren't looking, the kind of topics you're, you're taking on, you must be hungry, have something to eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus says, my foods, you knuckleheads. That's not in there. That should have been. It's to do the will of him who sent me to finish the work. That's where I'm getting my nourish from. That's where I'm growing. That's where I'm living off of. Verse 35. Don't you have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? In other words, you got the saying around you that says, not quite yet, wait a little bit longer. The time will come where we'll get to these issues, we'll get to these kinds of people. But Jesus wants to say, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest right now, not later. And at some point, the story for all of us becomes, we're not just the woman at the well sitting next to Jesus. We carry that passion from Jesus to have the next person sit there, to have the next person transform, to leave the 99, so to speak, to join the God who goes after the one. And we're going to talk about that all, all that and much more next week when we talk about regathering as a church, where God's going for us next year. And I have got to stop, or we're going to preach another sermon here. But... Uh, Let's finish off with a song.